that you're doing or the things that you've done, but simply because of who you are. God, your character, it supplies everything that we need. And God, you stay true to your name day after day. We thank you for that. And God, we thank you for the power of testimony. And we will hear testimony here in the coming minutes. And God, we just thank you uh, for the things that you do. But it's because of who you are that you do those things. God, we pray that with this testimony that, God, that your light will be shined. God, that people will see your love. And God, that they would know that you're enough. God, your love is enough. Your grace is enough. Your son is enough for us. Your blood is enough to cover us. Help us not to forget these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. I'm on two mics. I know this is probably sounding weird. Um, guys, thank you so much for letting us be able to share today. We're going to share in just a minute. Um, ask Quinn to pray because she won't because she said she wanted to. Okay, so we're going to let her try her best on praying today. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you for our friends, thank you for our food, thank you for this wonderful day that been coming towards us, and thank you for no storm to come to. Make loud noises and bad stuff that's been happening. Thank you for the, thank you for the people that are sick in the hospital. Please heal them. Please ha- help them have a good life. And thank you for them to live. And thank you for everyone to have a good day. Amen. Um, for those who have never got to meet Quinn or be around Quinn, um, he is a interesting human being. Let's just say that. Um, we have three girls, so it's me by myself, all alone in this world. It's me, and I live with four women all the time. So if you want prayer, if you want to pray for something, please pray for me. In just that I survive. Um, when they get to puberty age. I can't imagine what my house is going to look like. Um, as of right now, it's already pink and purple, okay? And I'm just used to being pink and purple. Um, they dress me up. They put things on me. They do whatever they want. But here's the deal. They're all three there. And that's what we're here to praise today. Um, in no way, shape, or form, we want to at all try to feel like we get any glory or anything out of this. Um, you get to see the end story. You saw her. So you see the end of the story. But how the story comes gives nothing but glory to Jesus and how he, how he amazingly has sovereignty and sees us even when we don't see it. And so I hope you see that today. There's some of us in this room right now who are suffering and hurting, and you might be going some, through the, some of the worst 
pits of your life. And some of you are thinking to yourself, all I need is just a little bit of hope. And today I hope that this message gives you a little bit of hope. Um, I know he's walking around with a camera and things like that. Listen to me, that's not going to get to me. I don't want it to get to you. I want you to hear the story. The great story about everything is that we get to baptize three people. That these people came to Jesus and they know Jesus. So when it comes down to it, don't ever let this story overshadow that because that should be the thing we celebrate today. But we shouldn't just celebrate Quinn and her story, but also the story of Quinn is the story also a part of this church. Because when we went to the hospital, how this church poured into us, loved on us, and then we came home, I'll be honest with you, our church was broken. But I think without a doubt, it healed, it healed through what Jesus wanted us to heal through, and it has made us who we are today. So we are here today, not because of the Quinn story, but because of Jesus. And so I want you to hear that and know that without a doubt. When it comes to suffering, for us to expect as Christians to think that we won't go through suffering in this life is absolutely preposterous. For if we look in John 16, let me just open with that. For I have told you these things so that you may know me and you may have peace. You will, su- you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Or it even says in other, some of your versions, it says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus says. You will have suffering. You will have things that come in your life that will shake you, blow you up, and hurt you. But listen to me. There are days that mama said, there'll be days like this. You know how mama said that in that song? But here's the deal. There's some of those days you're thinking, mama never told me there'd be days like this. But the truth is, we always hear that God won't give us more than we can handle. That's actually not true. God will give us more than we can handle. We just have to depend on him. There's nothing he can't handle. So that's what we trust. That's what we put our hope in. That's where we are. So if we go into the story of Quinn, November 2014, we had a Quinn was 15 months old. Claire was four years old, and Reese didn't even begin. Um, If you know Reese, Reese is the loudest kid in the nursery, so if you know Reese, that's Reese. But when it comes down to that part of the story, we were living just normal life. We were doing everything we were supposed to be doing. We were farming. We were playing. I was a teacher. I was a high school teacher in Mount Enterprise. Uh, Anna was uh, was a third grade teacher in Central Heights. We were living our life normal, plain as day. Everything was great. And then one day we come home, and Quinn gets a bump on her, on her forehead. And she has a bump on her forehead. We come home, and she has that, and that's just something we're dealing with. And ever since that bump on her forehead, we put her in her, be- in her bed, in her crib. And it was just different, because if you've ever been around any of my kids, they don't stop moving, okay? I got one right in here who, who probably will move the entire service. But if you think about this, we put her in the bed, and she doesn't move. She just lays there. And she just lays there. Week goes by. We take her to the doctor. The doctor says she's just got, she's fighting something, something's going on. But the bruise never healed that was right on her forehead. She basically goes in and we put her in the bed, we take her out, and all she does is she just lays on the couch. She's a 15-month-old baby. And if you all know 15-month-old babies, they don't stop moving. But this little girl just laid there. And we had no clue what to do, no idea what to say, nothing. 
We went back to the doctor again. They went back to the doctor again. We got a breathing treatment. They said, we have some type of pneumonia. They sent us to the hospital. They got to the hospital. They started doing blood tests. And we had amazing doctors at the hospital. The first blood test they ran came back. It's almost like they didn't believe it, which I totally understand. Then they ran it again, and they told us that we have some type of leukemia. Now, what is leukemia? Because really and truly, when you hear that as a parent, you're hearing that as a parent going, oh, my goodness, what is this? What is leukemia? What do you do with leukemia? And then you hear that your little 15-month-old baby has cancer. And you're thinking to yourself, am I saying goodbye? Are we in for the fight of our life? What do I do? Where do I go from here? God, what is going on? And you think to yourself, and some of y'all still think this to yourself, you think this to yourself today, is that you think God punishes me when bad things happen. That is absolutely not true. That we all have the road, and it depends on are we going to be faithful to Jesus or are we not? And that's the thing about it, is that we thought to ourselves, and even at this time, we were really, we, we knew, we knew without a doubt, okay, whatever happens, this is what we're going to do. But then again, my little girl, my 15-month-old baby, won't move, and she has cancer now. Anna, at this time, was 15, was, I'm sorry, not 15, that'd be weird, was, was five months pregnant. She was five months pregnant with our baby, Reese. Being five months pregnant, that put us in a weird scenario. Okay, her being five months pregnant made it where she couldn't get on the airplane that was going to take us to Houston to Children's Medical Center. And so it makes a whole different scenario. So in other words, I go get on the, I get on the, on the plane with Quinn and we go to Houston. Claire, Anna takes Claire home, gets her to a family member, and she heads that way. Believe it or not, she actually beat us there. I'm not saying how fast she was driving. I don't know how fast she was driving. But she actually beat us there in an airplane. Um, it just had a lot of strings to it. But when it comes down to it, it was, a, it was a mind-numbing thing almost at that time. When we heard that she had leukemia, I won't lie, me and Anna literally just sat there and wept and wept and wept. Because we had no clue what in the world we were about to go through. Um, but here's what was cool. Before we even left the church, before we even left the hospital, Ryan King was there with us. Before we even left the hospital, Leslie Johnstone was with us. Before we even left the hospital in Nacogdoches, this church was already praying for us and loving on us. This church did an amazing job and acted like the church at that time. It was amazing. Y'all loved on us and took care of us and held us up. And that was just an amazing testimony, not just for us, but for you, that you did the work of the church. You loved us. So then we get to Houston. We get to Houston. We show up there. We have no idea what to do the first day. All we know is that our daughter needs everything. She needs hemoglobin. She needs, she needs platelets. She needs every single thing that your blood is requiring because basically this is what leukemia is. Leukemia is basically for her was that inside of your bone marrow, inside of your bones is where your blood is made. When your blood is made and then it's pumped out into your stream, everything is made inside of there. So if you think about it, all of your immune system, your ability to, to fight diseases, it's all inside of your bones. It's inside of your blood, all your white blood cells, red blood cells, all the things that make you scab, all these things. The reason why her forehead wasn't healing, because her body couldn't do it. Her blood couldn't fix the healing that should have happened on her forehead. And you'll see in a minute, I'll show you a picture of her in the hospital. 
So we get her to the hospital, and she immediately starts getting transfusion after transfusion after transfusion, and she puffs up as, as big as she could be. And she puffs up because she has to get literally blood after blood after blood because she has to get her hemoglobins up so they can do procedures on her so that we can be able to go through whatever we go through. And so at this time, we literally are just losing hope. And it's just getting worse and worse. And we just start going, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Oh, my gosh, what do we do? That very next day, Leslie Nichols actually shows up at our church, as a, at, in our room. And if you know Leslie Nichols and her story, that they had a little girl who had ALL. And she comes to us and explains to us all this hope. And ALL is a type of leukemia that is about, and we actually had to look up the statistics again last night. It's 80 to 90% survive, you will survive after five years in kids under nine. So 80 to 90%. And then we knew that there was another type of leukemia that was called AML. And AML at the time was 50 to 60% survival rate after five years. So we were begging for ALL. We wanted ALL. And we almost believed, without a doubt, we were going to have ALL. Of course, we didn't. We had AML. We found this out after they did a bone marrow biopsy. And what they did was, is we had incredible doctors there that were explaining us every little piece of the way. And, and let's pull up that first picture. The first picture we have, this is what Quinn was looking like in the very day we got her to the hospital. She got pu more puffy. You can see the forehead with a bruise. That was there now for three to four weeks now. And it was not healing, which made every doctor go, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And as we sit there and we look at that and we think of that way, what was happening really and truly inside of her body was that it was basically attacking itself. That her spleen was being filled with all this types of blood that was dirty and messed up. And one cell, just one cell that mutates wrong could basically give you leukemia. And, and what would happen there would be is that basically all the things inside of her, if we touched her, if we, feel, if we did anything to her, if we held her, it would hurt. And she would hurt no matter where we went, what we did with her, she would hurt. And that's when it came down to we're like, oh, my goodness, what do we do? So after, the, after we found this out, then they had to go and do two procedures to her. They had to do one where they actually had to go in and cut in a piece of her bone to figure out what kind of leukemia she had. But the second ones they did, they actually gave her a pick line. Now, the problem with the pick line was is that a pick line is very normal. It's basically where they put a uh, line right here in your chest, and it goes directly through your heart so that you can be able to get uh, medication and things immediately. But her hemoglobin and her platelet level was so low that the doctors told us she gives about 50-50 chance of making it in and out of here. Because if something goes wrong, we're not going to be able to fix her. And so they told us, we're sitting in this waiting room with it was just uh, me, Anna, and Quinn, and all these other babies that just came in and out of surgery. And we're just sitting there thinking to ourselves, where are we? And what in the world are we doing here? And God, are you, are you, you're all that, you're all we got. We have nothing. We're out of control of this thing. This thing's out of control. And now we were just told that we got a 50-50 shot when our little girl goes through this door. So we were told that we need to make sure that we say what we want to say to her. We reach down and try to hold her and love on her. She screams like we're hurting her and killing her because her, the pain that's in her body when we hold her. It's just so hurtful. And so we, we watch her go through doors, just like double doors like that. She goes right out the double doors. 
And literally, I just remember looking at her going, I don't know what to do. Literally, we pray and pray and pray. And in the New Testament, Paul says that we serve a God of hope. And here's the thing. Some of us in our suffering, we struggle when it comes down to having hope. But I'm telling you right now, even when you're at the lowest point, have hope. When Job had everything taken away from him, it said he shaved his head, he got down on the, he, he tore his robe, he got down on his knees, and he didn't curse God. He worshiped God. So all we could do really at that time is we could just say, God, all we know to do is to worship you. Even when it hurts, we're worshiping you. She comes out of that procedure. We then at that moment found out she has AML. Literally everything bad hap is happening. Then they tell us that she has a mutation. She doesn't just have any mutation. She has mutation number seven. And mutation number seven means that this cancer is not going to stop. It's never going to stop. It is going to kill her. Chemo will never fix her problem. Chemo might slow it down, but it will not fix her problem. So when they tell us that and they say to us that, again, we're just thinking, again, how can every odds be stacked against us? At this moment, me and Anna had to realize that she couldn't stay with Quinn. She was five months pregnant. So I quit my job as a teacher, and she keeps her job for the insurance. Y'all understand that, okay? Um, so she keeps her job for the insurance. I quit my job, and I stay with her every single day. Every single day, I'm there with her, no matter what. After we got that, then we hit, we're, we're told, after we're told that we have to get a bone marrow transplant, we're told we have to start doing chemo right now. So we have to go through 10 days of chemo, and we have to do this four different times, and we have to watch her immune system go all the way down to zero, and then come back up. So when we're doing this, we're sitting there thinking to myself, God, how in the world are we going to turn around and give chemo to a little girl who barely had a 50-50% chance of walking back into that door, and yet we're going to give her chemo? I know grown men that can't handle chemo, and yet we're going to give it to a 15-month-old baby? What we found out later is actually kids actually handle chemotherapy 10 times better than adults do. They don't really know the threshold of pain like we do as adults, and they understand that. So we start giving her chemo on the first day. And again, like I told you, she was basically lifeless. She just laid there and did nothing. Didn't eat, didn't drink, didn't do anything we were about to put on a feeding tube and all these things like that. And then we give her chemo the first day. And we were in ICU at this time because it was so bad. But we start giving, we start giving her chemo and everything changed. A normal chemo patient has a loss of appetite, again, loses, her, loses their hair, um, throws up, sick stomach, you know, none of this stuff, all these, all these symptoms. And, and some of you in this room have had chemotherapy. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you in this room have seen people go through chemotherapy. Again, imagine doing this to a little 15-month-old baby. But everything changed when we gave it to her. Because when we gave her the first day of chemo, her eyes opened up. And we were like, you got to be kidding me. The second or third day, she started to eat goldfish. The fourth day, she was talking. And we have a clip, and I can't show it to you, but we have a clip. And w at that time, when we were at home, she was learning all the animal sounds. 
and she woke up mooing. <laughs> it was awesome. She woke up mooing at everybody, and we asked her all these questions like, what does a lion say? And she told you what a lion said, and all these things like that. So she acted like a 15-month-old baby. And so I'm sitting there going, so the more chemo we give her, the more it is making her feel better. The doctors would walk in and go, oh, well, it'll come. She'll have her symptoms, and it'll all show up. They'll, they'll, this will be short-lived, you know, dad, mom, you know, just get, and I'm just sitting there going, look, dude, I just want some hope, and this is giving me some hope, okay? Just be happy for a little bit, okay? And I understand doctors have to do that, but when it comes down to it, we are just so overwhelmed, so excited, so happy, and we are beyond just thinking, oh my goodness, this is fixing her, this is making her better. At least we're able to communicate with her. She sits there and she plays with her sister, and she has all this fun. We get out of ICU and get put to the ninth floor, which I want you to think about it. Right now, there's a ninth floor in Houston and probably every single city in America that there's a floor of babies and kids that have cancer right now that are fighting for their lives. And so we know without a doubt, we have, so here it is. We have 10 days of, 10 days. After 10 days of chemo, then we basically have to wait for her immune system to go to zero. And her AMT goes to zero and then it has to come back up to a certain level so we can take her home. But because we're AML, if you were ALL, you would do the 10 days of chemo, stay a couple days, then you would leave and go home, spend about 20 days at home, and then get to come back. Real fun life. But with AML, they wouldn't let us leave. They made us stay throughout the whole time. We got to go home on December. We went into the hospital on November 22nd or 21st. I can't remember what day. When, when, when in that day, we got out the first session in December 20th. We got to go home and have Christmas at home. And uh, December 26th, we were back in the hospital doing it all over again. But in December 26th, listen to this, we got to go in and get one more bone, bone, bone marrow biopsy where they go in and they go into her pelvis and they take out a piece of bone and they look for any leukemia cells. And listen, on December 26th, we found out she had no leukemia cells living inside of her. They were all gone all of them gone, and praise Jesus, praise God, how big that was. But here's the deal. They said it was coming back. It's going to come back. Your mutation, her body was going to make that cell again. No doubt about it, it was going to happen. So in our minds and in our brains, we had to think to ourselves, we need a bone marrow transplant, and we need a donor. We go into four treatments of getting chemo. After the fourth treatment, our plan was to go into a bone marrow, get, get a bone marrow transplant. But we had no bone marrow donor, and we prayed for that. This church set up a site right outside here, and some of you in this room got swabbed in your mouth where you actually got to see if you could be a, a donor. To be a bone marrow donor, the person has to match up with that person. It has to match up around 80 to 90 to at least 100%. So you have between 80 and 90. Anything lower than that won't work. So we go through January in the hospital and all the way to the end of February. Reese is born on, on March 3rd. And again, I'm the one living there with her. And I live there every day with her, no matter what. And all we're doing is praying, God, bring us a donor. Um, si most of the time we thought our sisters would be able to. 30% of the time in a bone marrow transplant, your sibling is actually the one who... Uh, who can be a, a donor to you. So be nice to your brother and sister because they might be giving you blood someday, okay? But when it comes down to it, they did not match. Her or the baby did not match. But the doctor walks in so nonchalantly, and listen to me, this is why this story is different from most people. 
okay? This is one. And this is one it's hard to talk about. We sat there and we thought we had lost hope. And the doctor's coming in to tell us about a bone marrow donor and that they found one. But, but when a bone marrow donor is that a person who, here's the deal, and this is the true hard fact, is, is that if you ever get asked to be a bone marrow donor, you can always turn it down and go, no, I'm not going to do it. They found somebody in another country somewhere else. We don't know what country it was. They can't give us that information. But the truth is they still would have to agree to it. And so we really thought to ourselves, how is this possible? Before we did this, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to this scripture Stick to the scripture, hold on to the scripture. This should be the scripture that you live by. But when it comes down to it, 2 Corinthians 4. And as, as you sit there and you turn, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about some other people. As we sit here and I sit here and I talk up here on the stage, I know that there are families in this, in this congregation that go through horrific things with their kids and sad stories. Lindsay and Derek Holsey, who are our beloved, loved friends, they need our prayer. They need this scripture spoken to them. And she says she reads it every single day and almost breaks down and cry every time she reads it. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Verse 16. Therefore, do not give up. Some of your versions say this. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. Even though our outer self is wasting away, or in my version it says, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Listen to me. These bodies are meant to break. But what happens inside needs to be renewed day by day. I need to be saved not just when I go through the water, but I need to go through the water every day. I need to be saved daily, not some days. Keep looking. Verse 17. For our, our momentary light affliction is producing us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what we can see, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Or yours might say transient. In other words, it fades away. But what is unseen is eternal. We put this right on the door when you walked into our room. They allowed you to have a little chalkboard or a little uh, race board, and we wrote this scripture every day, and we remembered to ourselves that this is an everyday battle. When your daughter is in the hospital and you don't know what's going to happen, it's an everyday thing. So here's the deal. No matter what you're suffering, no matter what you're hurting, no matter what you're going through, here's the thing. You get up day by day because you know why? God gave you today. Take it because you don't know if you'll get it tomorrow. So we walk in, the doctor walks in so nonchalantly, and she walks in and says this, we, didn't, we found a bone marrow donor and they're in another country and we don't know, but in the most weirdest chances, dad, you are a bone marrow donor to your daughter. You are an 80% match for your little girl, and me and Anna were looking through the odds of this. Just for me and Anna to be married and for us to have this actually happen, is one in a million, and then out of that one of a million, it's one out of 200 of me being still a match to her. So if you even just can wrap your brain 
around the chances and how God orchestrated this, that even when I met Anna on January 19, uh, 2005, when I met her, God already knew what was going to happen today. And he knew that she would pray here with you today. And I didn't, I didn't, she just said she wanted to pray. And think about it. Your sovereignty of your God is huge. Huge. Uh, skip to the next slide. The next slide, this is her when we were trying to contain her. We try to contain her when she really and truly, like after we give her chemo, this is how she acted, like a crazy person. Switch to the next slide. The next slide is this. On April 15th, she received her new cell. I had to go into, into a machine. They hooked me up to a machine. They cycled my blood through me, and they gave me this medicine that made me incredibly sick. It basically gave me the flu is what they said, that they're giving me the flu where all of my stem cells and all of my cells would come out into my bloodstream, and they would collect them into a bag. Now, when they collected them, they collected them in a bag, literally like this big, and they just keep cycling blood through me over and over and over and over. And here's the deal. When you hear that you can save your daughter's life, you're like, dude, kill me right now. I don't really care because you can have anything you want. So literally, I had to get sick for like four or five days, and it was just weird. It was like just pain in your jaw. It was the stupidest thing. Um, but when it came down to it, we got, we go in to get to do this bone marrow, and I'm like, man, you bring my big bag of blood in here. Bring it on in here. And literally, they bring a little bitty bag about this big. And you think to yourself, it's going to be this amazing thing. Me and Anna, we're going to pray over the bag. We're going to pray as it was get, being given to her and all these things like that. All this stuff was going to happen. And we think to ourselves, it literally took that fast. And it was literally that fast. And it literally took that long for it to work or not. And all we had to do was sit and wait. Before we did that, when we went to bone marrow transplant, they had to give her blood. They had to give her chemo. And listen to me, they had to give her chemo that was made from a horse. And this chemo was going to kill her blood. It was going to kill her immune system. Like, kill it. Never going to come back. So in other words, this is our shot. They said within like two or three months it might come back, but I will be honest with you, most of the time they said that they get sick and they don't make it. So here's the deal, just a little cold could have killed her. So we're living at zero immune system, zero. And our goal is to try to get it back up. But my stem cells had to attach to her bone marrow and had to go and start making new blood. And if they didn't start making new blood, she was just not gonna make it. We were put on the bone marrow floor, which is the eighth floor at, at Children's Hospital. The whole floor is bone marrow. And they say half, half the kids walk off this floor. So now we're in a totally different game. We thought the ninth floor was bad. Now we're down into this floor. And now this floor is like, hey, this is your one shot to be normal. And you got a 50-50 chance of walking off here. But we got a big God. And we knew that we were okay. And it came down to that. Now there were a lot of kids that were not. Quinn has multiple pictures of her playing in the playroom after she got well. And after other kids got their bone marrow transplant. And those kids, none of those kids that we have pictures with actually are still alive. We have other kids that were with us in the hospital on the ninth floor, still not here. So when it comes down to it, this is a real thing, and it happens all the time. But we got to get out of the hospital. We got to go live in an apartment 
uh, in Houston. We had to live there for over 100 days so that we could be able to come back and literally we had to go to the hospital every single day. We had to go and we had to, we had to go through the traffic. That was the worst part. We had to add traffic to this whole mix. So add traffic, Houston traffic to all this fun stuff. So we get to go and go sit in the ho hospital to then go sit in traffic in and out of the hospital. And so when it came down to it, the very first time we go into our they, they walked in, they said, hey, she's sick. And then literally they tell us they're sick, then they go in and they start like looking at her blood and looking at everything, and they walk in and go, but her blood's already doing it. Her blood is already killing whatever she's sick with. And, they were, and we were just like, God, you're so good. When we were sitting there in bone marrow transplant, we got zeros every day. Zero, zero, and zero. And Anna one day looked at it and said, she said, it says 0.01. And the doctor says, no, nah, that's, that's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. She goes, no, no, no. We're going to praise God for 0.01. And we did, man. We praised Jesus for 101. Here's the deal. The next day, it was three. We were like, whoop, three. By the way, it should be 500, okay? We need 500 here. But we're taking three, and we're pumped with three, okay? So then the next day, we had 40. And then after that, it was like 100. And then literally, we got all the way into it later after we came back, and it was almost over 1,000. We have no idea how it glued on so well, but when it came down to it, her bone marrow now is completely healed and completely healthy. I'm going to close with this because I know I'm about to get in trouble for talking too long. But here's the powerful part of this testimony. It's how it points to Jesus. Me and you had a sickness too. And it's called sin. And our sin is killing us. Our sin is, is basically eating us from the inside out and it poisons us. And really and truly our sin is going to kill us over time. But if we know Jesus and we understand that Jesus died on the cross and that his blood was the sacrifice that washes us clean, that, that is the most amazing miracle there is. Because why did he have grace on me? Why did he do it for me? Why did he do it for you? Because he loves you. What's so cool about our story is that it points to Jesus. I'm going to kind of let you all think about this. My little girl's blood was sick. And it was killing her. But God allowed this amazing story to be written so that he could show that his gospel in it. Because when it comes down to it, this story shows that her father's blood covered up her sin that was killing her. And it cleaned her. So that she could live a free and good life. If you take my daughter's blood right now, and you, she was to pr get pricked, and you took a piece of her blood, you would not see her DNA. You would see my DNA. My name is written all in her blood. It's the same way our blood should be, when, when we look at our blood and our identity, it's not in us, but it's what Jesus did for us, that he saved us from ourselves, and he cured our blood. So it's not us who live, but it's he who lives with us. We need Jesus the same way my little girl needed my blood. We need Jesus' blood to wash over us. So here's the deal. When they say there's power in the blood, there's an amazing power in the blood. So why is this story so great? It's not because of me. It's because God started writing it a long time ago. And now it's us, for all of us, to sit here and get 
just to give him all this glory and all this praise. Because here's the thing, I didn't do anything. I just sat there. Quinn didn't do anything. And I'll be honest, as much as she, you think she needed me, so not true. I needed her. I needed her. She would reach over to me and go, Dad, it's going to be okay. Because I can't tell you how many times that I would sit there and cry going, oh my gosh, we're never getting out of here. Like we're never leaving this hospital. And she would reach over and, it's okay. It's okay. Last night we showed Quinn these pictures. And she doesn't remember much. She was 15 months old baby. She got out right before her second birthday. And we got to come home and be a part of our church. It was awesome. But when it came down to it, we showed her these pictures last night. And she just started to cry. And just started to weep. And we thought to ourselves, oh my goodness, is she ready for this? Or did we do something wrong? And maybe we shouldn't have told her this. But the whole time she's like, she's like, I want to pray at church tomorrow. And I was like, whatever you want to do. I mean, it's fine with me. I'm not, I'm not control. I'm, I gave up a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but when it comes down to it, I can't wait to hear her tell the story. As much as I like telling the story, think about the day she gets to tell the story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so big and we are so not. God, I thank you so much for how even in the midst of our suffering, we can give you glory. That God, that that is the most opportune time. It's easy to praise you on the mountain, but God, that we can praise you in the valley. Because God, you get more glory in the valley. God, that you write our story before we even realize it. That you are there in the past and you're there in the future and you're just waiting for us to catch up. And God, I pray, Lord, that we can go into the future and know that you are in control. God, we thank you for Quinn's life. We thank you for everything that happened. God, we pray for those families that lost their little babies. But God, we know without a doubt that you're in control. That our hope is in you and our hope is in nothing else. Because God... You gave us today. Let us make today what it should be. This light momentary affliction, God, it doesn't outweigh anything for what you have ahead of us. And God, I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room knows Jesus. I pray, God, that these people in this room understand that their sin has separated them from their Lord, from their God, from their creator, and that they understand that Jesus is the only thing that brings them back. And God, that they need Jesus so they can have a relationship with you so that they can have hope. And God, I realize that there's some people here who have very little hope. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would understand that you are sovereign and that you see us when we're hurting. That there's no problem that we have that's too little. But God, that we can trust you. Lord, I thank you for this church. This church is amazing. God, it just warms my soul to see these faces. And Lord, I thank you so much for Pastor Bobby. I thank you so much for just this congregation of just true believers. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we just grow, not grow numbers, but grow closer to you.
that we lean and lay right before your feet and just give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for these baptisms. As these people walk out of the water into new lives, as they walk and say, we publicly live for you. God, we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.